Welcome to Clearly Quaker, an ongoing series of podcasts by Salem Quarterly Meeting, part of the Religious Society of Friends. Salem Quarterly Meeting is an association of seven Southern New Jersey Quaker meetings within Philadelphia Yearly Meeting. I volunteered to, since our uh, quarterly meeting at Seville got uh, kind of uh, postponed until they're ready to, ha to handle this, uh, I offered to, to uh, do a little presentation on uh, what's behind the, the violence in Israel and, and Gaza. Uh, it's, uh, there's a lot more, it's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, there are many stories, uh, many reasons, and uh, it's, a, it's a hard story to tell, but it's, it's well, I'll give, it, I'll give it a shot. So I want to just go over a couple of definitions since it seems that not everybody, you know, not everybody knows, you know, from listening to the US media, uh, what's actually, what is what. So uh, you hear terms like a Zionist, what's a Zionist? Uh, a Zionist is a person who believes in the development and protection of a Jewish nation in what is now Israel. It has nothing to do with, uh, uh, being anti-Semitic, which is a completely different uh, and not a great thing. Uh, so being a Zionist or an anti-Zionist does not mean that you're anti-Semitic. It just means that um, you're not a, not, not a fan of the, uh, the expansive uh, area that, that Israel has taken over in, uh, uh, in that whole area. Uh, the Palestinian Authority is the um, the organization that oversees uh, part of the West Bank. It's uh, it's an elect it's it has an election elected uh, uh, council and uh, the uh, the president of the Palestinian Authority is a member of Fatah, which is a which is formerly the the Palestinian Palestine Liberation Organization, which is, uh, you might remember uh, Yasser Arafat and, and that group. Um, but it's a multi-party uh, organization now. And this, the uh, uh, Fatah is the second largest party in that legislative council. Um, so say president, the president is a, a member of Fatah. Uh, it's also active in control of Palestinian refugee camps, which we'll, we'll see in a little while. Hamas uh, is also is a, a Sunni Islamic fundamentalist group. They're more militant, and they're a nationalist organization. They have a they have a social service wing, a military wing. Uh, it won the 2006 Palestinian legislative election and became the governing authority of the Gaza Strip. And uh, it also holds a majority in the parliament of the, of the Palestinian National Authority. We'll get, we'll talk some more about what they, how that, how that informs uh, things like elections. So um, let's look at the, the, the geography. Uh, this is the West Bank. You see it's uh, part of Israel. Uh, you see the uh, Gaza Strip over here on the left, and uh, in the um, in the center of it, you see 
Ramallah, Jericho, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, uh, Hebron, which is the second largest city after Jerusalem in, uh, in the West Bank. Now, let's overlay that uh, with the Israeli settlements that are in the West Bank. Um, all these little blue dots are uh, settlements that have sprung up around. Um, the orange areas here uh, that you see um, are areas that are restricted or inaccessible to Palestinians. So they are, and they're generally, uh, in many cases, the separation wall separates uh, some of these areas from uh, the rest of, of the West Bank. So it's, um, you also see um, on this slide on, on the left, you see where Tel Aviv is. Uh, and of course, above that, which is not shown are the Golan Heights and, and, uh, and that whole area. Uh, the dotted line here is uh, the, the uh, uh, international boundary between Israel and Jordan. So there's uh, a lot of lot of uh, varying histories. The dueling, I call them the dueling histories uh, over historic Palestine. And I saw this Jimmy Buffett quote: "Without geography, you're nowhere," and that certainly applies here. Um, so in uh, the in the early in the early times, and there's an Israel ver pro-Israel version and a pro-Palestinian version. In the pro-Israel uh, version, uh, Palestine was named was a, a place name that the Romans used, but then it disappeared. There was no Palestine before the British Mandate, which we'll talk about a little bit, uh, that was established after World War One. Uh, and before then, that area was known as a variety of administrative areas in the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire that, that basically ruled a, a whole lot of the Middle East for a while, for quite a while. The pro, in the pro-Palestinian version, uh, you know, the fifth century BC, they described this multi-faith country that was uh, beneath, between Phoenicia and Egypt, and it was called Palestine. So uh, 1917 British mandate is uh, after the, the Ottoman Empire collapsed, the, uh, all the European powers just carved up the Middle East amongst themselves. Um, so the British mandate was created to, it was established to create a, a Jewish national home. Um, and uh, the British chose the name Palestine reflecting, quote, Christian European thinking, not any Ottoman designation. Um, the original mandate for a Jewish homeland included what was now Jordan, but that was split off uh, in 1921 and became an independent country. The Palestinian version, uh, you know, in the late 1800s, Palestinian national consciousness emerged in re response to the arrival of Zionists. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the Palestinians looked at Zionists as being white colonialists uh, even though the Jewish population in the region was much smaller, just 8% or so when the British mandate was established.
So when the when the mandate entered 1948, and the UN came up with a plan to to uh, divide this area into uh, uh, the the area known as Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. Um, the Israel version says many Arabs abandoned their homes at the urging of Arab leaders. Israel ended up with more land than would have been uh, under the partition plan. That's, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty hysterical actually, because what happened was, again, the Palestinian version, uh, the time in 1948, you know, they, they would have been given 56% of the former mandate. So they, they saw, the Arabs, so the Palestinians saw no reason to really accept that deal. So when the state of Israel was declared, Jewish forces forced many Palestinian families from their homes. This is called the, uh, the Nakba or the catastrophe is what Palestinians call it. Um, although, um, you know, Israel would like to think that everybody left because they were told to by their Arab leaders, um, it, the Israeli Defense Forces also say that 70% of the Arabs during the time were expelled by military operations uh, carried out by Jewish forces and 5% could were orders from Arab leaders to, to go. So this was, this was a huge displacement of people that is still an issue today. So the settlements uh, in the West Bank, there's, 100, there's over 126 of them now. And there's also little outposts and that sort of thing. Um, and according, again, the, uh, the organization that represents the settlement said there's about 420,000 sellers in the West Bank. Um, the, um, the opponents of settlements see it as part of Israel's strategy to uh, uh, take over the West Bank permanently. The, the settlements make it really impossible for the Palestinians to really ever have an independent nation. There's no contiguous area of the West Bank that could be a, a, a two-state part of the so-called two-state solution. Um, the uh, settlements have long been a, a long Israeli, or a long uh, stumbling block for a, a peace deal. And we were talking earlier about uh, the uh, movie Oslo, the, the 1993, 1993 Oslo Accords uh, the issue of, of settlements was so thorny that they decided to put it off and deal with it later, which of course they really never have. So um, Jerusalem, uh, again, tinderbox that it is, uh, in 67, they, the, the, uh, Israel expanded the uh, boundaries to take over East Jerusalem, which the Palestinians always saw as their capital. Um, so the only, you know, there's a few countries that have recognized that the U.S. being one and moved their embassy from Tel Aviv to, to, uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, there's a, as you see, there's about 200,000 Israelis in, the, in, the, in East Jerusalem, and uh, many people consider them to be settlers. And there's about 300,000 Palestinians in East Jerusalem. As you can, and it's not a very large area. So, you know, you look at a picture of it. That's East. That's East Jerusalem. 
the the dome in the background is the uh, Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, but you can see there are most of this is settlements. There are some um, some Palestinian homes here. You can tell the difference because the Palestinian homes have black water tanks on their roof to hold to to uh, store water because their water can be cut off and it is cut off fairly regularly. The Jewish uh, settlements don't have those on the top because they have all the water they can use and they have swimming pools and so forth. So, uh, uh, but you can see this very densely populated area. And this is uh, a, 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 the old city, the walled old city of uh, East Jerusalem. Um, this is where <clears throat> when the uh, when I went there in 2017, we stayed uh, somewhere between the Christian quarter and the, and the uh, uh, Muslim quarter. There's the, the well, while this really, uh, it's uh, divided into quarters, you wouldn't know it. You, you know, you just travel around and you have no idea which quarter you're in until you get to the Jewish quarter, in which case you have to go through a, a checkpoint to, uh, to get there, which is, um, it's sort of like TSA at the airport. Um, take everything out of your pockets and you know, get scanned and so forth. Uh, if you're Arab or Muslim, you can't enter the Jewish quarter and you'll probably be arrested and detained if you try to do try to go through the checkpoint. Um, this uh, Via della La Rosso you see above the, uh, uh, the this blue this green area. This is a, known as the Stations of the Cross. As you, this is a pilgrimage site. Uh, various places are marked as uh, part of the Station of the Cross. It leads down to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is uh, 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 where it, it's, it includes a marble slab where Jesus' body was washed and prepared for burial, and Jesus' empty tomb. Uh, this church was built in about 325, and has gone, undergone repairs and rebuilding through the years. Um, the Damascus Gate, which you see up at the top, is the one of the, the main entrances to this whole area. This is we went through the Damascus Gate everywhere we went, and uh, as I say, stayed in this area. The Jewish Quarter has the uh, Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. This is called the Western Wall of the Temple. We'll look at that a little bit a little bit further. Um, This is uh, this is the Damascus Gate, um, and it's the, the as I say the entrance to the old city that, that uh, comes from the bus station. It's a uh, uh, big open air market and a lot of a lot of homes and, and people living in, in uh, apartments and so forth. Um, you know, there's lots of families with you know selling various uh, produce. Uh, there's shops all through the all through the uh, old city. Um, this is, for example, a, a, what the old city looks like on the ground. A little restaurant uh, out in the middle of the of the uh, road or the, the street here. Shops and and uh, so forth. This is all in the uh, pretty much in the Muslim quarter, um, I think. It's hard, like I say, it's hard to tell. It's just sort of seamless. This is the uh, the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. Uh, that's uh, 
it's the wall of the original Jewish temple. It was, it's, it's, uh, it's actually it's part of the expansion of the second Jewish temple that was done by, started by Herod the Great, the infamous Herod the Great. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's at the bottom of the steep hill that, that's uh, called, known as the Jews and Christians as the Temple Mount. And uh, it's uh, also in various Muslim traditions, it's the site where Muhammad tied his winged steed before he ascended to heaven. The man with the black bag is handing out yarmulkes. Everyone who comes into the Western Wall must wear a yarmulke, uh, regardless of your religion or not. It doesn't matter, you have to wear it or you're not allowed. So this is the uh, so-called the, the Dome of the Rock and the, the Western Wall, the, the, the Wailing Wall is right here in the foreground. Um, this is sacred to two uh, Abrahamic religions. Um, the Rock is where God told Abraham to kill his son Isaac and then told him to stop and kill a sheep instead. So that's very... Uh, uh, very significant to uh, uh, Christians, at least. The rock is also where Muhammad rose to heaven. So it is very sacred to uh, uh, Muslim religion as well. So it's an age-old conflict. It's a place that's holy to two Abrahamic religions. And uh, it's overseen by... Um, the uh, a, a group from Jordan that um, oversees this whole uh, Temple Mount area. Uh, so it's not under the control of Israel or uh, Palestinians, it's under the control of uh, Jordan, which actually makes it work better. So let's talk a little bit about the occupation of the West Bank. Um, and it is called an occupation because it is a military occupation uh, by, by Israel. So the Palestinians are living under armed occupation. Their soldiers uh, strolling around with their weapons and looking around at, you know, watching people and stopping them and, and uh, uh, anything that they, any, anything they want to do, they do. Uh, We've had a couple of situations where, you know, we come out of a restaurant to go back to our uh, uh, hostel and couldn't get there because there was a block, you know, they had, uh, they had part of the street blocked for some reason or another. So we had to wind our way all the way around some other way to get there. Uh, there are severe restrictions on uh, movement, especially between Palestinian and, and Israeli controlled areas. So to get from East Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, for example. Uh, we took a regular public bus. It had to stop at the checkpoint and everybody, all the Palestinians had to get off. So we all got off with them. And they said, no, 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 you don't have to get off. If they get off, we get off. And they looked at everybody's papers and, and made sure that everybody was okay as far as they were concerned. And we all got up back on the bus and left again. But that, that's, a, that's how you get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So 
building anything in the West Bank by Palestinians requires building permits, which I think the, the percentage of building permits that are granted is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1% of, of people who apply. So anything without a permit can be just demolished at any time, no matter when they were built. And if, they, if they're demolished, there's a, you have a choice. You can demolish it or the, Israel, the uh, uh, military government can demolish it. And if they do, they, they charge you, you know, huge amounts of money for tearing down your home. So this, for example, is um, an apartment building that was built uh, this is outside of Ramallah, for example, but uh, this, was an, this was an apartment building. That's what it looked like. And that's what it looks like now because there's a settlement over in this little area with the, with the red roof. Uh, that's a settlement or an outpost. And so it was too close to that. And so it was basically they bring big bulldozers and, and backhoes in and they destroy it. And this, this happens all throughout the West Bank. Um, also under occupation, uh, this headline is very recent. Uh, the, the, they had after the, the um, exchange of fire with uh, Hamas in, in Gaza, um, Israel's started detaining uh, Palestinian uh, citizens uh, in the West Bank. Uh, they've arrested about, uh, this was, I think this is about two weeks ago, they arrested 1,700 Palestinian citizens. They, they call it law and order, although I'm not sure why. Um, however, you, you can't look at the, what the military is doing in, in the West Bank and think that all Israelis feel that way. There are uh, a number of Israeli peace organizations that document and, and protest the armed occupation. And these are uh, Israelis who are uh, working and campaigning for peace. They intervene with arrests like that. They put, this photograph is probably taken by uh, one, of those, one of those groups. Uh, they're on the ground, they're documenting, they're writing, they're, they're, they're telling stories. And uh, it's, uh, again, a, um, there are Palestinian and Israeli peace organizations that are involved in this, but a surprising number of them are Israeli. Uh, this is a, how many, how many soldiers does it take to, uh, to, take, to arrest a, a teenager? Um, apparently quite a few. So they're, you know, this kid is probably, you know, the, the standard, the standard charge is you are throwing rocks. Um, so that's part of, a, part of what's happening here. Um, they're coming through checkpoints, kids going to school, you know, this kid's got to show that he's not wearing a suicide vest and, uh, uh, I'm not sure on the, the one on the right. I'm not sure what this kid was doing, but they, you know, again, it takes three of them to take this little kid into into uh, into custody. So uh, these are uh, these are daily kind of occurrences. It was interesting watching um, 
Palestinians going through a checkpoint, the uh, uh, the older, uh, you know, 20, 20-something 20 uh, Palestinians, when they walk on the checkpoint, they take their belt off because they know they're going to be strip-searched. So that's, uh, uh, that's just a fact of life. And uh, going to school, kids you know, get stopped at a checkpoint on their way to school and uh, waiting for this guy to decide to open the turnstile and let them through. Uh, when we were when, on, the, on the first day of school, as kids are you know going, to, all these kids are going back to school carrying their old backpacks and everything. Um, every one, every kid was stopped and their backpack was searched. So kids were three and four hours late getting to school because they, they had to look at every one of them. So that was, that was pretty crazy. Uh, so this, uh, here's a, an example of, now, now we're down in, in Hebron. This is an open air market in, in Hebron. Um, we, uh, we made a, we were here often buying, you know, groceries for dinner and that sort of thing. And that's a very uh, great, uh, really great place to be. And, uh, but occasionally you run across what's known as a flying checkpoint. Uh, here, these uh, these two are part of, and the person taking the picture is part of our delegation. They were off on lunch break and uh, they've got blocked by what's called a flying checkpoint. Uh, they were trying to uh, arrest or find three boys who were supposedly throwing rocks. They arrested two of them. They're now they're looking to find the rest of them. So these, they were stuck. They couldn't get anywhere. They couldn't, they went one direction, ran, ran into these guys, went in the other direction, ran into other guys that looked like that. And so they called the, uh, called us at the, at the, uh, Christian peacemaker team place where we were staying and a couple of them came out and found their way through one of the tunnels and and we were able to get all of them back but they were they were stuck just like all these you know like this kid getting taken taking dinner home so that's what what happened um, that triggered all this this latest round of violence um, how did this ex escalate into uh, rockets and, and, and airstrikes? Um, so um, I think as you know from in the news that there's a lot of been a lot of clashes and demonstrations in, in Jerusalem. So um, in the, on May 10th during Ramadan, um, Palestinians who were at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, as being Ramadan, being a, uh, yeah, the, the holy days of, of uh, Islam, and there they were a bunch of them were injured, and in, uh, they had a police and settlers raided the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is, you know, that's a that's that has not happened. So um, it was two days before the end of Ramadan, and then the. Uh, there's also something called Palestine or Jerusalem Day, which is a big flag raising march by uh, mostly settlers through the uh, neighborhoods um, that would have also co correspond with the end of Ramadan. So that was uh, pretty 
pretty crazy. It was uh, going to include the, uh, the going through the Damascus Gate, going through the, the uh, Muslim quarter. And, you know, they've always been, they've been clashing, uh, especially in, in Ramadan or in the uh, Damascus Gate area. Uh, that's where everybody comes in, comes out after you know, sunset after the, after for, the, for the feast. Um, So um, this, how did it escalate in the rocket attacks? Uh, really Hamas um, saw what was going on, saw that nothing was happening here and decided that they'd respond. Um, so they started firing uh, rockets towards Jerusalem. Rockets are uh, unguided. They just, you know, you saw, you know, I'm sure you saw lots of videos of that. Um, all of, all of them, or almost all of them, are intercepted by what's something called the Iron uh, Iron Dome, which is a uh, anti-missile uh, thing that, that intercepts these rockets. Um, so Israel went decided that uh, you know they they Israel fired back, and you know this whole thing uh, went crazy. So. Um, they really have started. They, they've uh, they've struck hundreds, hundreds of targets in Gaza. Gaza is not that big, and most of that, most of the population lives in the northern end of, of Gaza. Um, so the uh, it's it's not a you know Israel doesn't just randomly run up and just bomb everything. Uh, they do. They have a term they call roof knocking. Where they they uh, they drop an, an ex, uh, a low yield explosive device on a roof of a targeted uh, home or uh, apartment building, and it gives the uh, the residents about ten minute warning to get out. So they basically get out and go to the shelters, and then they Israel Air, Israeli Air Force uh, will bomb it and, and uh, uh, level it. So some of the some of the scenes that have been seen, you know, some of the scenes of Gaza after the uh, the exchange of rockets and and uh, bombs is just incredible. Uh, it's incredible uh, damage. Um, and again, lots of lots of people killed and injured and so forth. So that's. Uh, So the uh, um, the the Jerusalem day uh, there was a there was an update. They decided that they would not have that they'd cancel that event um, after the police said or the police said they would not allow the flag march to pass through the old city's Muslim quarter. So they just decided to cancel it. Oh, second update. Outgoing Prime Minister Netanyahu announced the march will go on through the Muslim quarter old city and pass through the Damascus Gate. So that's that. I don't know. I don't know what happened now that he's out of power. I mean, as of as of today or yesterday, he's uh, out of power. So that's uh, that's pretty crazy. 
The Iron Dome, by the way, is a uh, was funded by the U.S. and developed by uh, uh, Israeli armament industries. And uh, but we but our tax dollars paid for that and continues to pay for that. I think we gave them another two hundred fifty million dollars to replenish their Iron Dome system. So so. Let's look at, you know, what about elections? Um, Palestinian elections or not. Um, for Palestinians, um, the president of the Palestinian Authority is uh, 85 years old. He's, uh, he was elected in elections. I think the, the, uh, the first Palestinian elections were to be held the first ones in, in 15 years. They haven't had elections in, in about 15 years. So in theory, these were these elections were going to take place in uh, the West Bank, Gaza Strip, and East Jerusalem. Um, but and of course, Abbas is at odds with Hamas, who rules in Gaza, and Israel barred the Palestinian Authority from operating East East Jerusalem. So and that's where. Um, the most Palestinians live who aren't Israeli citizens. So Abbas you know, said, hey, East Jerusalem has to vote and blamed Israel for canceling the uh, election. So they, they have canceled the election against. So that's, that, was a, that was a real blow to Palestinians who were uh, anxious to, to have an election. However, I think the real reason that he, that he canceled the election is because Hamas would have won and he would have been out of power. So um, that's kind of the elections or not. So at this point, Palestinians haven't had an election for 15 years. We're not going to have one this year either. Um, so looking at life under you know, occupation, some of these pictures or most of these pictures are from um, our trip in, in uh, 2017, although there's, there's they still apply today. Everything is still there. So this, we visited this refugee camp in just outside of Bethlehem. Um, it's a UN refugee camp. Um, the key that you see on the, uh, the overpass here um, represents the Palestinians' right of return. There is still, although it's never going to happen, you see keys everywhere, hanging on, you know, on a door or whatever, and there are keys to their homes in, in <clears throat> Jerusalem or in Israel that were after they were kicked out of in 1948. So this kind of a in your face, we're coming back kind of thing, although that's obviously never gonna happen. Uh, alongside of the road that we're on is the separation wall. Uh, this is the wall that separates Israelis on the other side, settlers on the other side from this uh, refugee camp. Uh, this guard tower is manned, although it doesn't look like it, it is. And you can see the, the graffiti that the residents have put on it. So there's a little video here. We visited a, um, a, a center for <clears throat> primarily uh, to get 
kids out off the street and into some kind of structured uh, environment. And uh, it's a there's a there's a, there's not many places for kids to be, but uh, this is one safe place that they can be. So I want to show you just a little video of. Uh, تعلمنا بالمدرسة عن حقوق الطفل كثير بس كثير من هاي الحقوق ما بتطبق من أهمها الحق في الحماية والأمان في مادة 42 للطفل الحق في الحماية من أشكال العنف أو الإساءة البدنية أو المعنوية أو الجنسية أو الإهمال أو التقصير أو التشرد أو غير ذلك من أشكال إساءة للمعاملة أو الاستغلال مخيم عايدة موجود في مدينة بتلحم وكالة الغوث أسست المخيم في سنة 1950 الناس استاكنا بالمخيم أجوا من 27 قرية واليوم بسكن المخيم حوالي 5500 مواطن بحيط المخيم جدار الفصل العنصري وتقريبا أكثر من 6 أبراج حوالين المخيم أحيانا بصعى على صوت الرصاص في المخيم بس دايما أنا لما أصحى من النوم بروح دايما أول إشي على الفيسبوك على صفحة الأخبار في المخيم لأنه بكون خايف مخدين حدا من عيلتي أو أي حدا يعني بعرف اطفي الصورة I'm doing my work من فضلك اطفي الصورة I'm doing my work اسمع اسمع اه اوكي اسمع كان يا 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 كان بفريم اوكي 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 شهد عويس عمري 11 سنة ساكنة في مخيم عايدة بلد الأصلي علار أكثر إشي بحبه في المخيم إني أنا بكون هيك يعني متمسكة ساكنة بأرضي وإني مثلا يعني ساكنة بدافع عنها بطريقتي أنا لأني مقدرش أقاوم بطريقة ثانية وكمان بحب كثير إنه إحنا كلنا كعيلة واحدة في المخيم أنا كمان متطوعة في مركز لاجئ 
بحب أنا على الحديقة تقريبا كل يوم عشان أنا لما أشوف صحباتي وبلعب هناك ومنبسط لأنه هذاك المكان الوحيد اللي بحنا بنلعب فيه كل المخيم وأنا مشتركة في في وحدة الموسيقى في المركز وبعزف على آلة القانون بحب كثير أعزف على هاي الآلة لأنه صوتها بيشعرني إني إني بكون مبسوطة دائما لما أعزف عليها. يعني كثير احيان دائما بكون جاي على المركز بكون في طاقه دائما دائما تقريبا بشكل يومي وبس لما انا اجي امي بتكون كثير خايفه علي لانه بكون في مواجهات اول شيء ثاني إيه شيء لما انا اجي كثير في حصص بتروح عني بسبب هاي الاشياء لانه اول شيء بكون في صوت كثير مزعج ثاني شيء انا مش دائما بقدر ادخل على المركز لانه بكون الجيش يعني داخلين في المخيم وانه انا كمان يعني بشوفش كثير يعني اني ما باجي كثير على المركز عشان هاي السبب وبكونوا الولاد دائما تحت يعني في الشارع والجيش بيكونوا محصلهم بضربوا غاز كثير كمان على المخيم كان وقتيتها انه ضربوا الغاز والغاز عبى كثير المركز واحنا كلنا حشرنا غرفة واحدة وقتيتها وكمان في المركز حاولوا انهم كثير يساعدون عشان نطلع بس ما كناش قادرين نطلع عشان الغاز وكانوا بدهم يدخلوا وياخذوا الاولاد اللي كانوا في المركز بس الطاقم الطاقم اللي في المركز منعوهم وكانوا يعني انهم حتى كانوا انهم هاي انهم يضربوا او يطخوا لما كانوا طالعين وانا كنت خايفه كثير عشان الاولاد وعشان انا كمان انا حاب اخذكم هالحين في المخيم جوله عشان اورجيكم احنا كيف حياتنا اليوميه واورجيكم كمان بعض المواقع اللي كثير بتتضرر من الاحتلال وانه كثير ضخ فيها اولاد وكبار وصغار ومثل المشاكل اللي بنعاني منها في المخيم مشكلة المي وخاصة بالصيف بتقطع المي أسبوعين أو ثلاث أسابيع لحد ما يعطونا مي عشان هيك على كل بيوت المخيم في عندهم خزانات للمي هاي صور بعد الأسرة المحكومين مدى الحياة تقريبا في الانتفاضة الثانية أكثر من 500 شخص اعتقل غالبيتهم تتراوح أعمارهم بين 14 و15 سنة هاي المدرسة معظم الأجيال القديمة والجديدة درسوا فيها وهي تابعة لوكالة الغوث أكثر من مرة انطق عليها من الجيش غاز ورصاص وكان في إصابات من طلاب المدرسة الفترة الأخيرة انطخ كثير غاز على بيوت المخيم 
من دون سبب لدرجة إنه في كثير ناس سكرت الشبابيك بالخشب لأنه الجيش بطخ الغاز بشكل مباشر على البيوت في 2014 استشهدت نوها كطامش من الغاز و2015 ضربوا الغاز علينا وإحنا بنلعب بالحديقة من دون أي سبب وهاي الحديقة المكان الوحيد اللي بنقدر نلعب فيه بالمخيم مش بس بيستخدموا الغاز كمان استخدموا مية المجاري لكلها مواد كيماوية برشوها على بيوت وبتضل ريحتها لفترة طويلة ألفين وخمسة طخ صديقنا عبد الرحمن كان واقف هون بالضبط طخوا الناس من دون سبب من هذاك البرج <تصفيق>
حتى المكان اللي باجي العب فيه بحسه مش امن لانه الجيش دائما متواجد فيه ونفسي اكون زي باقي اطفال العالم اشعر بالحمايه والامان بس ليوم واحد وحابه انه نفسي تتحرر فلسطين وارجع على قريتي الاصليه وابطل اسكن في المخيم That's a pretty powerful video. That, uh, it'd be horrible to live like that. Um, one of the things that I did with, uh, I came over a couple of days early with uh, uh, a few other people. We went down to Hebron and uh, met uh, Ahmed Kazmuth, who is a UN representative for displaced persons. He also heads an organization called the Hebron International Resource Network, which builds and improves schools and communities in the, in the Hebron area uh, predominantly. Then pick up school supplies at a local store. We took them up to this school uh, for that. Um, we also um, visited a new school that was built. It's, uh, again, these are funded by uh, various uh, NGOs, non-government organizations. And um, this was a school that we were uh, also providing materials for. Um, however, on the first day of school, the night before the first day of school, Israel destroyed uh, the schools that you were just looking at. Um, they uh, were built without permits. So the kids showed up for the first day of school, and this is what they found. And uh, they managed to find some chairs and a shade uh, shelter and that's where they met that's where the, the kids went to school uh, this is uh, this is this was a shock to us because we had just been there and uh, i just couldn't believe couldn't believe it um one of the things that that uh, that we enjoyed um this is a uh a bedouin a small a small bedouin village that we visited and no matter how poor the village, hot tea is always served. It's a hospitality of guests is an Arab tradition that is throughout the Middle East. Uh, but this is a little small Bedouin village we've visited. You can see they don't have much. This is their, you know, their, their tent shelter and, and people sleep in here at night. But they provided they everybody this little kid came and gave us all hot tea and and uh, we had a nice uh, little meeting with with them but uh, it was pretty pretty amazing. Um, one of the other things that again places that are built without building permits uh, in this case um, this is a uh, water tank that was provided by I think by the Hebron International Resource Network. Uh, for a small uh, Bedouin uh, uh, village. And apparently that was not permitted. So there's the Israeli uh, guys taking it away. So no, no more water for Yule. So um, this happened um, about a week and a half ago. Um, 
this is a, these are burning hay bales. Um, and this, again, as you can see, uh, according to, to eyewitnesses, there's some settlers from the, from a newly established output, outpost stuck in the community and set fire to these hay, hay bales. Um, it's a drought year. There's uh, no, you know, he's buying hay to feed his uh, uh, sheep and goats and because uh, the grazing fields don't have any plants. Um, so he bought 82 bales for $9,500 and half of it burned. Half of it was burned. So this was uh, really, uh, in the South Hebron Hills, the biggest problem is, is settler violence. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty, pretty sad. Um, so what do we do? How can we do something? Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, this, you know, little note that, that, you know, the Israel's policy seems to be to make life very difficult for Palestinians so that they will leave. They don't care where they go as long as they leave. Um, if the separation wall, that barrier you saw that surrounds uh, much of, much of uh, the West Bank, if that became the border of a Palestinian state, some settlements are outside of that wall would have to be abandoned, and that's certainly not going to happen. Um, but in all in all, Palestinians try to make the best of a very bad situation. So there's a couple of things that we can do. Um, I want to just play a quick Quaker speak video. Um, what I knew growing up as a Quaker is that we took risks, that Mary Dyer went back to the Boston Common, that uh, John Woolman went and, and talked to people about where they purchased their clothing. Um, there were Quakers that helped with the Underground Railroad, et cetera, et cetera. People who would even take personal risk to stand up for the truth as they saw it. I visited Israel many, many times in my life, going back to when I was a kid and I would always go on the hermetically sealed trip. In other words, I would go to um, the Jewish parts of Israel. And it wasn't until later as an adult that I literally crossed the line and spent time in the West Bank. I realized that we really have in this tiny little land two radically different universes. When you're in Tel Aviv, you can be sipping cappuccino you know, by, the, by the beach in a, in a, in a cafe and literally just a few kilometers to your south is the Gaza Strip, which is one of the most hellish places to live on Earth. People are only concerned about uh, living their days, about uh, the basic things of life. For example, getting electricity, which they get only, only they get six hours a day, getting water, clean water, getting jobs, you, ha you have skyrocketing uh, rates of uh, unemployment, around 60% or even more people are unemployed, uh, especially youth. So youth don't see that there is a future even in Gaza. If they stop my father's car in Ramallah and he shows them his ID and it's blue, it's, its color is blue. And my sister is in the car with him and um, she shows them her, her green ID, West Bank ID. It means that he has to pay a little bit more than $1,500 and his car is taken away from him for three months. 
It's illegal that he drives his daughter around in his car. When I went to Erez checkpoint uh, in order to cross uh, to uh, present-day uh, Israel, I was expecting that I will uh, see is Israeli soldiers face to face because I have never been in all my life uh, in direct contact uh, with an Israeli soldiers. But to my astonishment, when I arrived there, it was like watching an, a science fiction movie because everything there uh, it was with uh, with signs with uh, with colored um, lights and then I saw an Israeli soldier who is sitting behind her desk behind uh, a glass window. So she asked me to take off uh, all my clothes, and I was like completely surprised. I said, "Why?" She said, "Just like this." take off your clothes and put them in the machine. So I did, but then after I got out, um, I kept crying because I felt that, uh, again, um, I have been humiliated. Uh, it's not enough for them to impose the siege. It's not, it wasn't enough for them uh, to launch three massive uh, attacks. Uh, still, they keep humiliating us. My first involvement in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was on an Earlham College study abroad program in 1982. And since then, I've been committed to this issue. Uh, oftentimes people ask me, how can you do this work for so long? I think, well, how can I not work on it? How can I, with the knowledge that I have and the experiences that I've had over all these many decades, how can I not work on it? How, why, do I, why should I have the luxury of um, stopping when all these people, these young people, old people um, who live under such hardship, they're not giving up. I, I don't feel I have the luxury of, of despair. As American people of faith, we need to speak our conscience and we need to find the courage of our convictions. And if we believe in values such as equality for all, regardless of our race or religion or ethnic background, then in this land that is so sacred to so many people, not only Jews, Christians and Muslims, uh, we need to find the courage of our convictions to call for justice. My conscience tells me and my religious faith tells me that uh, when you see oppression going on, you uh, call out the oppressor and you stand with the oppressed. Because we are working on the right to freedom of movement, we said, okay, we want to see, to determine the companies that are complicit in violating our right to freedom of movement. We decided to choose HP because HP is complicit in settlement activities and uh, they provide surveillance uh, equipment and technology for the separation wall. They provide technology to um, surveillance technology to Israeli prisons. Not because I hate Israel as Israel, but because I hate the oppressive system of, of Israel. And not because I want to destroy the Israelis or the Jews, but because I want this uh, apartheid system of uh, discriminatory policies to be ended. So I'm asking um, the American citizens 
to come in solidarity with our struggle with the, with the Palestinians and to say no more uh, no more to uh, to what to what is Israel is doing we look at all the social movements that that Quakers have been active in and we're proud that we were on the right side of history. And I want the Palestinian-Israeli conflict to be in that narrative. I want us to feel that it is the continuum. We're calling for nonviolent means to end the Israeli occupation. We, are, we have a vision of Israelis and Palestinians living together in equality. We want historical injustices to be addressed. I want that to be seen not as an aberration, but a continuum of this history. And for Quakers to feel that that's exactly where we need to be. Other resources. Uh, American Friends Service Committee does a lot of good work uh, uh, in uh, Israel and Palestine. And in fact, I met uh, one of the one of the people that are, that's doing that. So um, that's my presentation. I'm happy to answer questions. Um, don't forget to unmute yourself. Tell me, like, why does uh, why did Hamas have rockets to begin with? There should be a blockade around Gaza. Well, there is a blockade around Gaza. Uh, they uh, they bring in um, they they bring in uh, armaments, etc., through tunnels uh, on the Egyptian border. And again, they're, they're, they see it as being um, defensive. They're, they're, they have no defense against Israeli airstrikes and so forth. They, that's, that's their, their feeling is that you know, we cannot allow this occupation to go unchallenged. I would just think Israel would have the ability to, uh, to go into South Gaza and uh, dig up the tunnels. But they decide well, not they to do it. They, they don't go in. They don't go in. They bomb them. They part of mm -hmm. what they were doing in the most recent thing after they yeah. destroyed buildings was they were going after the tunnels that uh, uh, there's tunnels that that lead into Israel. Then there's tunnels that lead uh, into Egypt. And uh, most of the rockets, in fact, the rockets are all stored in tunnels, so they kind of protect them. Uh, uh, I'm not. I would. I would not. Be, I would not uh, validate what Gaz, what what the uh, Gazans are doing, what what Hamas is doing. Um, they uh, they're the only way the Palestinians feel that they can fight back to against the oppressor. So um, I, I don't I don't see it as being uh, helpful 
um, especially when they're when they're firing rockets into in Jerusalem, which they had not done up until now. They've been been shelling uh, you know, small villages, small Israeli villages uh, that border that border uh, Gaza. Gaza used to be all Israeli. It was full of settlements and. Uh, Israel decided that they would abandon it and uh, give it to the, uh, the Palestinians that were living there. They didn't want to live there. The people, the Israelis didn't want to live in Gaza anymore. So they, they basically destroyed all this, all the uh, settlements and, and uh, relocated all the, the, the people that were living in settlements uh, to other settlements. But no, I'm, I'm, uh, I can understand why they do it. I don't. I do not. It's it's a shame that there's not other ways that they can that they can uh, resist the occupation and the violence that was uh, that was being uh, visited against the, the uh, uh, Palestinians on the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And uh, I think that was <clears throat> that was what really triggered this whole thing. Other questions. Mike, I think over the years, we always heard about the two-state solution. You know, we, that's a, almost a phrase we always heard. Mm -hmm. uh, what, is this, what are your thoughts on that? And what is the major stumbling block to that happening? Major stumbling uh, it's block. Real estate, it's real estate, I guess. It's real estate, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett says, it's all about real estate. Um, the... Um, the settlements that riddle the West Bank make a two-state solution. Well, what would it be? Gaza? You know, is that the state? No. That 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 uh, there's there's just not with with the settlements that are that are and and they were they were put there purposely. You know, there's just not a way that you're going to find contiguous um, land that Palestinians could call home. Uh, it's not, it wouldn't be on the West Bank because I say the West Bank is just riddled with settlements and uh, a couple hundred thousand settlers, most of whom, by the way, are not violent. There's a small group of settlers that are violent, but most of the, most of the uh, settlers that live on the West Bank are not violent. And I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like they, like everybody is. It's, you can't paint, you can't paint a broad brush uh, or make stereotypes of, uh, of people because everybody, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, of people that make up this thing. So it's, uh, you can, the danger is getting, is stereotyping uh, Palestinians, Israelis, you know, that's the whole bit. So that, that's not helpful. Uh, my, the, um, the rockets that we just mentioned, you said are coming in through Egypt, through uh, the ability to come from the other Arab nations or from Arab nations on the far side of, of the, uh, the border that doesn't- yeah, I, would, I would assume that's the source of the, uh, of the rockets that somebody is arming, decided that, they, that it's, it's to their best interest to arm the uh, Gazans so that uh, they can, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, the source of them, I don't know. There's arms dealers everywhere in the in the Middle East, so there's not. 
I wouldn't say it's a nation state that's that's doing it. It's probably arms dealers that are they're selling uh, arms. Um, how they get in through Israel or through Egypt, that's another story. Uh, uh, I guess I would follow that with a question based on the fact that, as I understand it, Israel is the only real democracy in that entire area. Uh, and how, okay, if Israel just pulled out at this point, not that just stopped harassing, stopped doing whatever they're doing, et cetera, how would it impact uh, the only democracy that exists? And how would uh, the rest of the nations in the Middle East possibly utilize that against, would it solve anything is what I'm saying, or would it just allow non-democracies uh, to advance in that area? Well, one thing that's that's been going on is that uh, the U.S. has encouraged the nations uh, of the Middle East to drop their, uh, I wouldn't say hatred, to, to drop their opposition to, to Israel. And they've, they've done it by, uh, you know, the only thing that the U.S. knows how to do, they spent money. They, uh, you know, give them airplanes and fire planes and that sort of thing and, and basically bribe them to uh, uh, reestablish relations with Israel. Now you can you can you can you can argue about the way that they do it, but the fact that these nations are in fact uh, establishing relations with Israel is a good thing. Okay. I think it's a very good thing. And it's a positive step. <laughs> anything anything you can do to diffuse Tensions in the Middle East is a good thing. So, you know, I'll say one thing for the Trump administration. They figured out they figured out that the way to solve this problem is to is to bribe other nations with money, and they and they have. Or the American taxpayers have. So it's not it's not a bad thing. I mean the, the uh, Israel looks at you know all these other things and say hey it's us against the world and now it's not necessarily them against the world. Uh, I think the only uh, outlier that's still a problem is uh, is uh, Iran is uh, still the, the big the big problem over there. But that yeah. has nothing that doesn't really apply to the Israeli-Palestinian problem. That it applies to Israel and Iran. And so Israel is carrying out uh, covert military operations against uh, uh, Iranian, res uh, Iranian resources and so forth. So that, that's, that's a problem. But uh, the rest of the, you know, the other ones, you know, they're, they're, they're working on it. So. Hey, Mike, uh, I don't know uh, personally, because I've never been there, but uh, I have uh, quite a few uh, Jewish friends that have been to Israel uh, and actually a few that have, uh, you know, gr grown up with Netanyahu uh, when he lived in uh, Philadelphia. And, the, you know, the rest of uh, 
uh, Israel, or mo most of the rest of Israel, uh, ha has peace with Arabs and Jews ev everywhere. Um, and what I've been hearing from people that know more than I do it, that have been there visiting numerous times that the, the politics of Hamas and the politics of the regime uh, now in Israel make it difficult um, for Israel to, uh, you know, work on any peace process here. I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't know personally, but it seems like politically uh, right now for who's in power, they, they, they don't want uh, uh, peace. Well, the, uh, they, there, there are Palestinians who live in Israel. There are Palestinians, there is a, a uh, an Arab party uh, in the Knesset uh, and they're part of the coalition that basically uh, ended uh, not Netanyahu's reign. And uh, so, they don't have a lot of rights, but they have a they do have a voice in the Knesset of you know some small amount. Uh, I think the the issue that um, that I look at is uh, this whole West Bank thing and the fact that it is an armed military occupation of the West Bank. And I, I if Israel wants peace, they've got to figure out a way to coexist with the Palestinians who live in the West Bank. And I, I don't see, uh, from what I know, and again, I, I know what I, I read in the media and so forth, I don't see that happening. But that, if there's going to be peace, there has to be an end to the armed occupation of the West Bank and more of a uh, civilian, if you want to have civilian control, that's fine. But um, this armed occupation does nothing but trigger uh, Palestinians to react to it because it, it's uh, you know it's like you living with the you know the state police in your in your backyard telling you what you can do. Mike, is do. is there any concerted effort to create more of a community policing mentality rather than a militarized? armed response. I mean, you know, I know there are tons of peace groups, but I just wondered if any of their actions are sort of following what's happening in the United States with the push towards changing police culture. Hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, changing culture is a is a problem. It's, it's, <laughs> Especially militarized everybody to do it. <laughs> Is there any group? Is there any group in the West Bank or in any or Gaza, which uh, would be advocating uh, sort of the the things that happened in the in the civil rights movement in the sixties and seventies in America that would have uh, uh, peaceful, uh, nonviolent demonstrations even when there's great uh, violence uh, against them, as in say Selma. But uh, the, those kinds of things have great power to them. Uh, but boy, it takes a lot of nerve and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of commitment to, to to do that. 
Well, my my uh, my my experience, or you know, from what I know, there is no such thing as a uh, a nonviolent uh, protest in uh, in the West Bank by by Palestinians. They may mm. come in with the idea that they're going to be nonviolent and they're going to be protesting, and then the armed occupation says, "No, no, no, you cannot do that." So we will we will either arrest you or we will tear gas you and break up, break this up because we don't like to see great big groups of Palestinians protesting anything. So yeah, there are there are a lot of peace organizations, as I said, in Israel and Palestine that are working actively working for peace. Um, it's difficult to do, but they do. So uh, there's uh, two or three organizations that I'm aware of that are that are in fact uh, doing that. But what they also do is document uh, the occupation and try to, to shine a light on it so that they, uh, so that the world sees what's going on. They're not gonna do it. They, they need support from the international community to do, to get anything done. Mike, you talked before about not being allowed to go to Ramallah. Tell me about that again. Uh, you could go after all to Hebron or Bethlehem. No, no, you can go to you can go to Ramallah. You just have to go through a checkpoint. You, you, there are various checkpoints around where where uh, I don't know what the purpose is, but the, seems to be to to make sure that. People get harassed. Uh, they say it's like going through TSA checkpoints. Uh, you know, get off your airplane, go through a checkpoint, come get back on again. You know, they get on the bus, get off the bus. Um, but you, the place that you, can, if you live on the West Bank, you cannot go to Gaza. And if you live in Gaza, you can't go to the West Bank. You can't. Well, and also, if you live on the West Bank, you can't go into Israel, right? Uh, unless you have a work permit, right. there are Israelis or Palestinians that go every day, you know, go through checkpoints and go go to work in uh, in Israel. Okay, but they do allow you as an American to go to Ramallah to see that. You can, yeah, as an American can go anywhere except except Gaza. It, it, right, it, it, it takes mm -hmm. a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of red tape. If you're going to go to, to Gaza, because they don't want you there, that really doesn't. Israel does not want internationals there, but there are internationals there. But they're, uh, and I suppose you probably come in through Egypt, but I'm not sure. But yeah, you can travel. Americans can travel anywhere. They're internationals, I should say. Can can go anywhere. They can go to Israel. They go to Palestine. They go everywhere. And yet, I understand that you're probably by now on a uh, on a sort of a hit list, as it were, by the Israeli government, and uh, you would probably not be allowed into the country at this point. Well, that's a possibility because um, one of the things that we did uh, a month or more before we uh, went on our trip, we scrubbed our social media. We came off all social media and uh, deleted accounts and, and so forth so that because you know they look at it they say okay you well, let's look at your let's look at your facebook page and what you've been saying have you said anything about boycotting 
you know, Israeli products or anything like that, you're on the next plane out of there. Mm -hmm. Or, or you may not even be allowed to get on the plane to go there. So that's that's uh, they'll they'll stop you from even coming into coming into uh, the airport. Oh, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I kind of hesitate to refer to it as a democratic country without putting a pretty big asterisk by it. Well, it's sort of like a yeah, it's it is a democratic country. I mean, they just had an election and threw Netanyahu out. There, there is hope, <laughs> but I'm not sure that the regime that came in is going to be any better. Except that it has a lot of uh, it's got a very very broad including uh, Palestinian party uh, as part of it. So the hope is that they can be a moderating force on the, uh, on the, the prime minister that, uh, that was not there during Netanyahu's reign. Yes, okay. Well, there's a lesson to be learned there that voting really does count. Yeah. We need that lesson here sometimes. No, uh, the Palestinian Authority has no, no authority on Gaza, right? They're, they're completely separated now, right? Yeah, they have the West Bank and Gaza. They have the Palestinian Authority uh, has authority in parts of the West Bank, not in East Jerusalem, um, but uh, and not in Gaza. Although, as I say. Uh, Hamas, who pretty much runs Gaza, is in the Palestinian Authority. So, oh, it is though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a member. And again, the reason they probably aren't going to have elections is because they would probably kick out the eighty-five-year-old and, and bring in yeah. uh, somebody from Hamas. And that's yeah. That that would be that would be difficult. And I suppose Saudi Arabia does not want Hamas in power. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. I really don't. I, nobody knows what Saudi Arabia wants. Or, yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, yeah, not every not everybody's happy with uh, with Israel, but more people are happier with it now than they used to be. So, and, and Mike, yeah, did you? Did you visit the Armenian section and um, do they have a vibrant voice in these matters or do they just kind of lie low? The, uh, I wouldn't, I never met any Armenians over there, but uh, their, sex, their, their section has some really nice restaurants in it. So we would we'd go over there. <laughs> right. Uh, and there, I don't think they have a, you know, they're, they're interested in keeping their heads down and keeping themselves uh, together. So, uh, uh, but again, I, I don't, I don't know that I met any Armenians. I probably did because they had, they had very nice, I say very nice restaurants and uh, um, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. Certainly the Christians have a, you know, they, they're, they have their own set of issues over there as well, but uh, I mean, they're, they're living. They're living through this too. It's, it's when Paul uh, referred to our civil rights struggle here. It just does make you think 
and the woman in the Quaker speak talking about she's been doing it from 1982 and is still working at it. But I think, how can it possibly resolve itself if Israel doesn't want peace and yet Palestinians don't have access to even water, electricity, the same, you know, medical care, markets, just the basics. It just seems yeah, like- The limits on electricity are, are uh, applied to Gaza. Uh, the rest of the, uh, the West Bank has, has power. They don't have a lot of water, but they do have power. And again, in, in Gaza, Israel controls broadband, the speed or not the speed of broadband, the, uh, uh, the flow of electricity, the, the uh, uh, fuel oil, that sort of thing, all is controlled by Israel. Hmm. Well, well uh, thank you for all these great questions. Um, I think we'd like to probably move into meeting for worship at some point. But I think it would be appropriate, yes. Take a break and... Uh... Thanks, Mike. It was really helpful. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Clearly Quaker. We hope you have found this podcast thought-provoking. If you have questions or comments or would like to learn more about South Jersey Quakers, reach us at salemquarter.net.